Hey guys, welcome back to the European Fitness Network installment two of our relaunch podcast. Uh, we have a special guest in Kier today from Argentina Rugby and we also have Dave Hare. Are you guys there? How you doing? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for having me, mate. Good. Good to hear from you. What, do you want to tell us? We'll get straight into it then. Uh, obviously, you've got a huge uh, match on Sunday against the All Blacks. Uh, you looking forward to that one? Yeah, mate. It's, it's just one of those things like I, I want it to be Sunday already because um, I'm just trying to think how many weeks we've been on the road training and, and, and getting ready now. And it must be, I think it's like 13 weeks we've been getting ready. And um, we're obviously in the phase now of just a lot of sitting around in hotel rooms and, and dropping the volume and basically just getting restless. And uh, to be honest, the boys are really excited. They want to play. They know it's going to be a good game, but I think... Um, physically, they know they're in a good place, and um, with with the performances that we had during the championships, you know, in particular the game against South Africa, the the boys are very positive about uh, what they can hopefully bring to the World Cup. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, are you guys going to get onto the stadium beforehand, or will that be the first time you're there? Or um, no, we have the we have the captain run on Saturday, um, but then. I think that's going to be the first time that everyone there has, has has played at Wembley, or maybe a couple of the Saracens boys have played there. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be at Wembley, and I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think it may be a sellout, which is you know like eighty ninety thousand people, which is yeah <laughs> quite a few. Yeah, that'll be unreal, be unreal. Well, do you want to maybe even go back then? You had mentioned um, what did you say about sixteen weeks you've kind of, or how long ago did you kind of? preparations begin I know it's probably longer than that but the proper you know for this yeah well um on the ground I mean we we were planning for this in December we had a trip to to San Diego where we actually tried to plan out the nuts and bolts of what we we're going to do and uh that was that was super difficult because the the challenge that we've obviously faced this year is that um normally we're only challenged with preparing for the rugby championship and that's, that's a, a somewhat simple task to do because you have, say, between eight and ten weeks to prepare the team and then you go into the competition block and then at the end of it, you, you know, the guys go back to their clubs. Um, the difficult thing this year was that uh, because of the World Cup, the championship had been brought forward. Uh, so not only do you have to prepare for the championship and the World Cup, you're having to do you know, both at the same time and then you had less time to prepare for the championship. So whereas normally we have that eight to ten weeks, um, we only had three weeks this year. Uh, we had a two-week camp in Sydney, plus a, a one-week camp in New Zealand, and then we played New Zealand in the championship. Um, we had a, a few weeks before that, but um, a lot of the players that are involved now were not involved then, so that's mostly the European players. So for for those guys at that level and, and with those contracts, it's it's not been uh, an easy prep or a long prep at all. Cool, cool. And um, you were in Portugal last week, were you? Yeah, we were. It's um, the the relationship that we've got there is the is the head coach um, Daniel, who was he was head of Portugal's coaching uh, at the last World Cup. He took them to their their only World Cup appearance. Uh, he was out there for five years, and um, he's he's still got some very strong relationships. So uh, the rationale was coming over to Europe. Uh, we arrived a few weeks ago. Uh, to do a week in Leicester for the, the testimonial match for Marcos Echerza. Um yeah. he's, he's played 10 years at the Tigers now. So we played a game there and then the decision was made that rather than spend an extra week in sunny Leicester, we could all go to the Algarve, 
So, um, yeah, we went to, to Brown's Sports Club in, in the Algarve and mate, it, was, it was a really, really good environment for, for the boys because obviously they're, they're Latin people, they like the sun. It was a nice relaxed environment for them to stay away and for us to just really focus on, on what we're trying to do and, and not have any distractions. So we, we arrived back from there on, it would have been Sunday night. So now we're at um, a nice fancy country hotel just, just waiting for the big one on Sunday. Good stuff. Would those guys have, um, I know this is not strictly S&C, but would the guys have their family and stuff with them at this stage, or are they flying solo? Or um, What is going to happen is time, time is usually made on game days, and maybe the day before a game, you know, families can come in between certain hours. Um, and if, if there's a day off, that would normally be the day that, that families will visit. Um, but as as things are at the moment, we've we've not had families for the last, ooh, at least the last couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks. So it's um, a, a few of them. You've got young kids and stuff. You know, they they're starting to pine a little bit. So ho hopefully, the next time they they come in is soon. Good stuff, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting, and what about then, obviously, you know, it's a um, <clears throat> couple of days to the um, to the big game, I mean, wh when would be the last time you guys, um, obviously you probably have a, a training camp in, in England, um, being in the gym, or can you give us a bit of insight there? Yeah, um, it's a little bit of a, a weird one this week, because we're, we're playing on a Sunday, not on a Saturday, um, but... Yeah. The, the kind of way that I would, would plan for it is, is to work backwards. So somewhere within that week, you're going to have an extra day. I would say it's always better to try and work backwards from that game day and, and try and shoehorn in that extra early day, so that extra day of the week earlier in the week. And the reason for that is because if it turns out that whatever you've done on that extra day is a mistake, it gives you more time to, to correct it and, and get the guys used to coming into the game in a format that they're more accustomed to. So kind of okay, working yeah. backwards from, from our game day of, of Sunday, we'll obviously have the captain run on the Saturday. Uh, then two days out would be, it's kind of like our medium intensity day. Um, there's still going to be quite a lot of tempo and a lot of speed to rugby because they need to be training in a fashion that they're going to uh, hopefully perform in the game. But then from our perspective in the gym, um, we, we do drop the load down from, from, from four days out. So... Uh, what what we do in the gym on the Thursday is we still have our our position specific uh, power power output exercises which you know we assign on on player roles and then we're we're in what we call our our block four which is our competition block so we just we drop the load down super super low so nobody is doing anything more than forty percent of one RM at the moment and it's all about just how how fast can you move that load and and how much can we get rid of that residual fatigue so on a Thursday we actually have. Uh, any lower body stuff outside of the power output is completely optional. They can choose not to squat. They can choose not to do lower body stuff. Um, working backwards two more days, because the day in between is our day off, so which should normally be a Wednesday. It's going to be Thursday is, is a day off. Uh, the, the Wednesday is going to be the high-intensity uh, stuff in terms of rugby. It's also going to be the, the position-specific power output stuff in the gym. And generally, we'll pick the stuff which is more uh, impactive or more lower body dominant. And then they're going to bench cool. and squat. And then if we do accessories, it'll be lower body on that day. But again, it's completely optional. So we're kind of acutely aware at the moment that um, the potential to get better 
uh, is, is extremely, extremely small and the potential to get worse is, is massive. So we're all about trying to just deliver the, the bare minimum of stimulus to the players uh, at the right time and in, in, in the right amount. So we, we allow them to try and listen to their bodies and select the load that they think helps them prepare best. Yeah, That's a great quote. Uh, we should you put that in the show notes. The chances of getting better are very small, and the chances of getting worse are much higher. Which I love that. It's very, very true. Yeah, and it, I think it's one of those things where, as a coach, there, there are certain things which maybe as a sport, as rugby, just because the mentality we have, or maybe because we're coaches, the mentality that we have, it's an extremely uncomfortable thing to, as a coach, have your guys come in and have them do 20 minutes of weights and walk out feeling like a million bucks because you, you kind of feel like, oh, damn, we're being lazy or the guys are being lazy or we're missing an opportunity. When I think you have to, you have to look at the science and you can't be afraid of where that leads you. And if it turns out that 20 minutes is probably the best thing to do, you have to be confident in, in the plan that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fascinating. I just want to hijack it because Gregory hasn't a clue about strength and conditioning. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be nice. <laughs> Oh no, he does. He, uh, did you know he's a level one uh, Exos cert? Did you know that, Care? <laughs> oh mate, I've, I've been through that. That's that's a <laughs> that's a, a, a highly Star- esteemed qualification. We're in the we're in the same level here, so it's yeah. all good. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'll give you my story about bringing a team to Browns in Portugal off air because it's uh, quite entertaining. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> basically, I'm just fascinated by your role with Argentina, and I'll tell you why. Because a, I toured Argentina as a rugby player myself about 15 years ago, so I know the landscape a little bit. And also because I see on Instagram, and it's always desperately bad to judge anything on social media, but it seems to me that um, when you get, you're just so happy to get the players at all that you're just bundled in, say, local school gyms and stuff, and you're just doing world class stuff with maybe less than world class uh, facilities. Is that <laughs> a fair commentary, care, mate? Like last year. Um so obviously we, we normally start with our camp in, in Florida at Exos, world class, world class facility, you, you don't want for anything. And then we came yeah. back from Florida to, to Buenos Aires last year and yeah. um, we trained in a marquee. Like the gym that they had there was not big enough for us to train in two groups, like, so say like 20 players. So they yeah. put up a, like a wedding marquee with a wooden floor and they, they like stole equipment from five local clubs. So we had squat racks, we had bars, TRX, med balls, um, dumbbells and then that was it um, and you just got on with it because uh, I suppose you going up to the the heads of Argentinian rugby any chance you throw 100k in a gym here that we use for two weeks they'll just look at you funny yeah mate <laughs> I tried to get 100 bucks out of them the other day to do a grapple session with one of our players who we're trying to like super fast track amongst his rehab and they were just like mm, we, don't, we don't have the budget but you know it, it goes to show that you can do a hell of a lot um, not just myself, you know, in our situation that you can do a hell of a lot, but like I, you know, Tom Farrow, who's a good friend of mine, coach at London Wasps, and you know, he's he's branched out into doing the grappling stuff for some of the England teams. We had a conversation last night. He he paid uh, a lot of his own money to go out to Cuba and, le- and learn from their coaches out there. And he said, being yeah. in that environment just teaches you just how little it is you need to to be an excellent coach and to to develop world-class performance and i think sometimes an environment like that is is really good because it shows you just how little you do need and and how lucky you can be when you do have a good environment yeah and uh, we were were talking about this with dan john about um i was training a county team last year different world but 
we'd probably uh, six Argos dumbbells and six med balls for 10 weeks. That was all we had. And Dan John just said, well, you've got to be a really good coach then, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> he said, you have to think of progressions that don't probably exist. And you have fellas jumping on their shoulders and stuff. But uh, if you're not following care on Instagram, I hate Instagram for, you know, making you less productive, but your stuff is really good. Uh, I love the drill you had them just running through goalposts for reactive stuff. It was absolutely excellent. Um, just the next question I have purely on S&C was if you take the Irish model, which is probably, uh, gel probably a lot of S&C coaches are jealous of the Irish model. I assume, now I could be completely wrong, that the head Ireland S&C coach, uh, I think it's Jason Kelman, isn't it, Greg? It is, yeah. Yeah, is, um, would have some small input into Leinster, Connacht, Ulster, uh, etc., etc., do you have any input whatsoever, or do you keep a finger in the, the you know, on, on the pulse in terms of all your English-based lads, all your French-based lads? There's probably a few home-based lads. Yeah. Um, or is that something that you just don't even worry about, and you just fix them when they come to you? Okay, so it's, it's probably a couple of different scenarios. Um, and this, this is where one of the weaknesses, or one of the apparent weaknesses, in my opinion, is, is really a strength, or it can be a strength for us. Um, the, the difficulty that I had working within, within the English system is that the guys start and they're like 12, 13. So if you're a youngster in England and you show a lot of promise, a club is probably yeah. going to get their hooks into you when you're like 12 or 13, if you're really good. Yeah. Or maybe a couple of years later, what will happen is a, a private school will offer you a very lucrative scholarship. And immediately what you have is you're trying to juggle the needs and the egos of 10 different schools and, and, and clubs and counties and all that who want their, their piece of the player. And that can be a very, very difficult environment to work in. And there's no kind of central system. So I don't, I don't know a ton about the Irish system or the Welsh system, but my, my impression from them is that there is a centralized model where that thing, things are yeah. designed centrally and then it trickles down and you at least have some input in the format. So the advantage that we have in Argentina is because there's basically, with the greatest respect to, to what has happened before, and they are getting better, and everyone has the right intentions, there was a bit of a vacuum in terms of what I would consider quality strength and conditioning coaching. And there's also no professional rugby. But the advantage of that is now is that although the guys come in late when they're 18 years old, the advantage is, is that they're only coming into UAR performance centers. So we're in charge of all of the performance centers in the country. If you show promise as an Argentinian-based player, you are in our system and nobody else's system. Right. And the system that we've tried to develop over the last few years, um, I'm sure Exos will forgive me for this. It's some Exos, but it's some of my experience, and we've, we've gone pretty off script with it as well. Yeah. Um, but what we've developed is uh, a four-phase um, periodization model and we work through those four phases uh, both within the year for an adult rugby player and within the four years that precede that for a, an Argentinian based player so to give you a breakdown of the blocks that we have kind of working backwards our phase yes. four where we're in at the moment is purely about the focus on the pitch we know that in order for them to perform to their maximum they have to learn how to utilize all of their physical abilities in the most efficient manner possible and that's really just playing the game. Learn how to use what you've got. Yeah. Working backwards into that phase three, we know that there are going to be like a limited number of physical abilities in each position which underpin how well you're going to be able to perform in your role. So we try and focus on developing those roles in, in phase three. Now working backwards in phase two, we know that there are just going to be 
good general outputs which are going to underpin your ability to perform in those specific stuff. So if you're bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful, you're going to have a great base to then develop in your position. So that's phase two. And then phase one is just to, to develop maximal speed, strength and power. Those are really intense training methods and there's quite a high risk of injury. So in order to do that, you have to earn the right by preparing the body, developing work capacity and learning how to move. And that's our phase one. So if you're an adult rugby player, you're going to work through those phases one, two, three, four, up until the desired peak that you want. But then within the system as well, when the guys come in at age 18, we have our phase one again and again and again and again throughout the year, just repeating the, the format of training but changing the content. Yeah. As they go into under 19, it's one, two, one, two, one, two. So we've started to introduce that slightly more specific, slightly more intense training. As they get into under 20, They'll go one, two, three. So we're starting to give them a bit more in terms of their position. And at age 20, 21, they're either going to go into senior rugby or they're going to get cut. And the advantage of that system is that hopefully we have a system that flows from one year into the next. And because we've identified what are the, the content, the frequency, the, the volume, the intensity of everything that we do and how we progress it from year to year, yeah. we've been able to, to spread that amongst all of the coaches throughout the country in our five yeah. regional performance centers, and they're, they're going to double to 10 in the next year. So yeah. hopefully what happens is now that we have players that no matter where they are in the country, no matter what age group they are, and no matter who's coaching them, they're getting coached in the same system, and it flows from one year to the next. Um, so it's not perfect, but the, uh, another good thing about that is, is that every year we, we get together as coaches, and I ask them, I say, you know, what, what's working, what's not working? And um, we get to tweak it like that. So... It, it's almost like an accelerated learning model as well. It's really good. Right. So uh, your role really is a sort of strategist and you have to try and put a system where you're talking uh, huge flights, huge gaps between seeing the players. Um, player could come from, say, X club beaten up. You have to still elicit a training effect or at least not make them worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're juggling a lot of things. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I would have thought the Argentinian job is the ultimate challenge because, you know, there was even talk about having them in the Six Nations or, or making it, yeah. uh, having the base yeah. in Spain and stuff, you know. So it's, it's fascinating to me. So Well, uh, the, it, this, the kind of situation you've described where the guys are older and a bit more beaten up, um, yeah. that's basically European-based players. So I didn't really touch on those uh, before, but yeah. The, the composition of yeah. the group used to be about 70% European-based and 30% Argentinian-based. Um, but that's, that's flipped now. So now with the new coach and the development of our system, we are 70% Argentinian-based players who are still technically amateurs. And then we have 30% that play in like France, Italy, and South Africa. Um, so with those guys... Let's be comfortable for a minute here then, right? <laughs> yeah. I have a theory that the French-based players are less fit than the uh, home nation-based players. Would you, have, would you back that up? Mate, our performance tests, the records are all held by Argentinian-based players. <laughs> right. Yeah, by far. And, yeah, but my point is, in the French professional rugby model, it seems to me that you're just a number. And apparently you listen to people on the radio and stuff, and apparently they don't emphasize a whole lot on the fitness end of things in the French pro league. It's more just buy a better player and, and smack into them harder. And yeah, well, I've had conversations with players from our squad who've played for, I'm not going to name the club, but they're probably the Real Madrid of, of uh, European rugby. 
Yeah. And it, the feedback was, you know, oh, we only do 30 minutes a day. We don't really do speed work. You know, if we do conditioning, we just kind of like run until we feel sick for four minutes and then we just yeah. get on with it. My my retort to that was, well, when you can afford to buy whoever you want, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, you know, in our situation, well, course, we, we can't really do that. <laughs> of course. But, uh, yeah, but if you, of course, if they did have you on board in that Real Madrid team, they'd perform a lot better. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, it's, it's easy... It's always easy to say, well, you know, if I was with that team, I'd do a better job. But there's, there's always, I think, there's a lot that you don't, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, very much true. I mean, but, uh, yeah, I, I would hope, I would hope that I would do it differently. I would say that much. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, I, I, uh, it's interesting to hear that because obviously the Argentinian team is made up with tons of French players, and um, it's fascinating to see that. You hear that, and it's people who don't know S and C or sport would assume. Oh, the richest team would have the best S&C coach. doesn't always work like that. Mate, I had a guy come back from France this year at the start of our preseason camp. He was 105 kilos and he was struggling to squat 120. <laughs> right. For an international rugby player. And, mate, don't yeah. get me wrong. He, like, he, he pulled a massive performance out of the bag in the rugby championship. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about here in terms of um, <clears throat> the, the fixtures for the Rugby World Cup? Obviously, you've got um, All Blacks up first, and then uh, you've got Georgia after that, isn't it? The, the following Friday. I mean, we do, and then, yeah, yeah. And maybe would would that kind of have any impact in terms of your kind of preparations for the guys? Would you be sitting looking at that and making yeah. tweaks or? Yeah. To be honest, we have. Um, no, kind of going back to that that kind of four phase model that we talked about. One of the things about that uh, that phase four competition block is obviously forty percent of one RM is fantastic to get rid of fatigue, but sooner or later you are going to have to go heavy again to to re-stimulate the retention of all those abilities that maybe aren't getting as pushed. Um, so I think if you look at Isserin's book on block periodization, the stuff like um, strength and power to an extent you're looking at about a residual of about three to four weeks so in light of our fixtures where obviously New Zealand are the number one team in the world Georgia are very physical Tonga are very physical Namibia are the lowest ranked team in the tournament what we've done is we've scheduled a block three week where we're going to actually impose a bit more stress on the guys in the week of Namibia to hopefully re-simulate the the development or retention of those abilities that we've put on the back burner to then hopefully carry them through until the final when obviously we're going to win the thing. Um, and, and All right. <laughs> confidence. And, and it's, it's one of those things that you've talked about and I've, I've read a little bit more about it this year from, from stuff that Sydney Rabbitohs um, did in the NRL, which is they, they came up with an interesting model where they would sit down at the beginning of the year and they would say, well, who are we going to play this week? And how do we rate them out of 10 in terms of how difficult the game is going to be for our guys? And then based on the ranking that the, the team would give, they would then adjust the training load up or down according to that. And, and So basically trying to ensure that you're not putting a huge amount of stress on the players when you know they're going to get beaten up, for example. I, I, you know, I'm not sure how well that works in reality, and I'm not sure how uh, if, if it if it is the smartest thing to do because you have you know you get nervous coaches and stuff who want to train more but um i think it's an interesting idea and it's definitely something that i would like to learn more about yeah yeah that's no, good to hear you're not totally winging it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no. what about big guns esserin uh, conjugate periodization <laughs> yeah 
stolen the words, Karen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we've stolen the, the Charlie Francis vertical integration. I have to say, uh, have, you, have you read um, Cal Dietz's book, Triphasic Training? No. Okay, so that book, like Cal, I met him through Jay DeMeo, who does the, the Central Virginia Seminar. I mean, Jay DeMeo is like one of the most well-connected, knowledgeable coaches I've ever met in my life. So through him, right, I just turned up. I think I've told um, Greg this story before, but basically, like, yeah. when I was, like, 26, I just randomly emailed this guy at Muscle and Fitness to ask him some questions. And from him, I got an invite to a seminar in Virginia where I met Jay. Through Jay, I've met Natalia Verkashansky, Cal Dietz, Louis Simmons, <laughs> like, all these fucking people on, like, his um, seminars. Yeah. crazy. And Cal is... Super, super smart. But his book, yeah. in its own right, is a fantastic book. But he does a great job of breaking down all of the Soviet-style periodization models. And it's kind of from that that we've based our stuff along with, with Charlie Francis. And, you know, I'd, I'd recommend you, you check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, can you just, name the, just give the name of the book again, just sorry. It's Triphasic Training by Cal Dietz and Ben Peterson. So Ben Peterson was a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota at the time. And he was kind of like the the cow whisperer because if you let cow get going he just talks and <laughs> he just goes off on one but ben is now actually uh the the science director for catapult usa he's he's another awesome guy to learn from good stuff good stuff now that's a good tip um well one last one just in terms of actual preparation and then we'll go into some probably listeners questions but um what what's the kind of plan can you give a tiny bit of insight in terms of after the game say on Sunday um, your, your next game I think is uh, is it the fourth or is there another one before that I was just checking out the fixtures um, it is going to be we've got the first game this Sunday and then the next game is Friday the following Friday yeah. yeah so it's what you've got they've got to four or five days there yeah um, so I mean it's, it's probably not going to be that intense at all you know working backwards again it'll be Thursday captain run Wednesday is probably going to be a day off because we actually need to travel from Hertfordshire to Cheltenham and then Tuesday will be like a medium intensity day. We won't throw anything high intensity at them that week um, just because of the, uh, again, that capacity to get better versus the capacity to get worse. Um, so we're, we're confident in their ability to just maintain the, amongst those six days if we give them one, one decent session. Good enough, yeah. What about the training facilities? Can you give us uh, how have you found them so far in England? Um. Well, you know the one the one we're at at the moment. I can't remember if I said that stuff about CrossFit on the air or off the air. It was off the air. So, uh... <laughs> so you're, you're prompting yeah, me. Okay. I already have the hits out in my life, so I'll use talk away there. I'm going in to make a coffee. Yeah, we cut your frigging brake cables on your car. CrossFit. No, nah, they put us at a CrossFit gym, and you know the guy the guys are nice, and it's a good space, and it's it, it's a, a good place to train. But I did I had a chuckle to myself because um, me and two of the other coaches hung, hung around for a session afterwards when, when the general population came in for their session and there was one dude doing a session and he had a t-shirt on it that said man's man and then yeah. he proceeded to do some 24k kettlebell swings wearing a pair of gardening gloves and I thought fucking hell but <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah and thanks yeah. for making this uh, podcast uh, explicit so uh, you know, not even me for once not me for once this is refreshing Gregory yeah. you know I cannot do a podcast without having that little letter E for you <laughs> yeah I knew it was coming knew it was coming so uh, now that's uh, it's interesting uh, definitely to get an insight there but in terms of um, I 
did put a quick post just on um, the Facebook group, the European Fitness Network Facebook group. Um, so one of the first questions came from uh, Des Ryan, who heads up the academy with Arsenal, um, and he uh, he actually asked two questions. So um, first one is, uh, and hello Des, and thanks for the the question is um, ask uh, him what are his thoughts on the Welsh attitude. Um, Attitude slash heat and English attitude preparation pre World Cup. Altitude, I think you meant to say, didn't you? Uh, oh, sorry, yes, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> what attitude? Yeah, sorry. I thought FNC coach asking the question, it was dangerous, care, but he got it over the line. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I spoke to Des about this because, um, you know, he's, he's been putting up some posts about what the various teams are doing and. Um, you know he doesn't pull his punches and uh, he he made some very good points about it which is if you look at the research to get uh, you know the smallest worthwhile change out of stuff like altitude and heat you need about three weeks and um, neither of those teams did three weeks and then I would question you know how long is the physiological residual of that how long can you hold on to that little boost that you're going to get when these teams did it in like July and the World Cup's in um, October October, September, October time, you know, so I'd question it from that. And then I would also question what is the impact of, of training in that fashion at altitude and, you know, all this heat and stuff. How does it affect what you're going to be doing in terms of the, the speed, strength and power stuff and maybe the technical stuff? Um, because, you know, I can tell you just from looking at our numbers from Portugal last week, our regular session that we do on a high day took a significant bump up in terms of the perceived exertion just because of the heat and, and, the, and the humidity and the sun and stuff like that. Um, so as a consequence, we then had to cut the, the load a little bit in the afternoon when we did weights because, you know, whether it's um, real or perceived, when, when, the, when stress goes up, you have, to, you have to reduce your training load. So I think that's one thing you have to think about. And ultimately, I think, you know... It works fantastically well on paper, but I, I think, you know, without being too judgmental, Wales have demonstrated that it's not a, a physiology contest. Um, they, I think they've paid a little bit of a price for how they've performed in their pre-World Cup games because of, they've put such a focus on the physical side of things. Um, and you, you, I think it's dangerous sometimes to think uh, as coaches just in that physiological box of performance because really as strength coaches we are just one area that fits into that big picture of tactical technical physical psychological and then you can expand that even further with logistical nutritional medical you know all that kind of stuff and i'm a big believer in the fact that whatever you do you have to think about the impact of whatever you're doing on all of the other areas and how those areas affect you and you know i told you off air that I, I had an interview the other day where the feedback from me was that I don't focus enough on power and strength and I'm too much of a generalist well you know I'm not going to change because I think that that's actually a strength of what I do because I don't think as a coach you can exist in isolation and I think the danger of going overboard with stuff like altitude and heat is that you consider it in isolation rather than as a piece of the whole puzzle yeah that was some great well, information give some insight into that because my old mentor was S&C slash physio of the Irish rugby team when they used to go to those freeze places in, in Poland and all. And he, he would basically, I think back then it was sort of head fitness guru that would tell them what to do. And basically he was to take these eight fellas into the gym. And he said they were so fatigued, he kept sketch outside the gym, turned the lights off and let them sleep on the mat on the floor. <laughs> yeah. 
um, because his physio knowledge was, and to me, I heard enough about that place that as an SNC coach, I wouldn't be passionate about it. Um, but then again, the Welsh guys are greater than some of their parts. Their clubs aren't great at all. But when they put on the red jersey, they just raise their game 20%. Like, it's incredible, you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, is you know, the, the most important person in any rugby team is the head coach. You can, if you look at some of the changes that teams undergo um, in the short space of time when a new coach comes in, to me it's almost impossible that it's physical. If you look at Australia, the changes that Australia have made in the last year underneath Michael Checker have been super, super impressive. And it's nothing to do with the, the, the physiology. It's just to do with the fact that it's like leadership and culture. And I, I think, you know, in Wales, that's what Warren Gatlin brings to the table. It, all the rest is probably detail, I think, to be honest. Yeah, and every S&C coach has a weakness and every S&C coach makes mistakes that they don't even know they're making. So it's about, though, the 80-20, you know, isn't it? Absolutely. So 80% of what you're doing is ineffective or actually bad. And 20% of what any team is doing, even if it's the world's best perceived S&C coach, um, you have to look at, you know, okay, maybe that two weeks of their 52 is bad. Let's say if we assume that it is bad. And... Um, but the rest is absolutely unbelievable. So it's kind of like you have to look at the, the and then over three years, their S and C program might be absolutely amazing, and it's just those little blots in the copy books. That's the way I look at it, anyway. It's just trying to find as well what is that you know that twenty percent of garbage that you do trying to find it out because you know like you said if you're not even aware it's a pain in the ass to try and fix. Exactly, and you could have introduced a drill with your team that probably on paper is amazing but they just hate it and you can't do it because the whole vibe in the room is just, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, ma as you, it's so many layers to this that it, you, it's, it goes back down to psychology, goes back down to logistics, it goes back down to time with the players. But um, I suppose the base question, is that a worthwhile protocol? As a sports scientist myself, I wouldn't be passionate about it. But again, you don't know until you're sitting there in that dressing room and on the team buses for morning, noon, and night until you really know. Is that right? Yeah. Well, this is a second part. Uh, hopefully, I can read it out uh, correctly this time. But he says, just what's your thoughts on high levels of fatigue and the relationship with non contact or soft tissue injuries? Yeah. Um, well, so I will say another thing about you know sending the boys to Qatar. It's probably a clever idea just to send them somewhere where it's illegal to get pissed. Uh, <laughs> so that's probably another. <laughs> Another factor, <laughs> um, but with with regard to the you know the non-contact injuries, you know I'm 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 guessing where he's going with the question. And my my opinion, I've I've told you before, is if it's a non-contact injury, it is 100% preventable, and every non-contact injury should feel like a slap on your face as a strength and conditioning coach. And the reason is is that any non-contact injury arises through an imbalance between the demands of the environment, acute or chronic and the capacity of the athlete to tolerate those demands. And training is about stressing uh, the athlete, manipulating their environment to push them into adaptation, but not exceed their capacity, and then giving them ample opportunity to rest and recover and exceed their capacity again, and then you repeat the cycle again and again and again. And this is where I think stuff like readiness comes in. Um, we are big believers in trying to deliver right training, right time, right amount to the right player. Um, and we have contingencies within our program to do that based on how they respond um, on a daily basis. 
it's not perfect and we've made mistakes this year through nerves and lack of preparation in terms of getting ready for the championship but i think we're starting to we we've we've ironed out the kinks in our preparation to the point now where we are fingers crossed not going to have any non-contact injuries throughout the world cup and an example of of that from the other day is we had a guy come in very important player for us he's definitely the the ferrari kind of athlete where for every hour he spends on the pitch you need to spend two hours in the garage getting him ready again and uh, he he turned up to training one day his questionnaire score was was way off his his rolling average so it was like 1.2 standard deviations is our threshold for low intensity training he he was more than that off of his average i said how do you feel he goes oh my adductor feels a little bit tight my neck feels a bit tight and he got pulled that day and then the other day he did 40 minutes out of a total of 90 and you know I'm going to be confident that he's going to go on the pitch and we're not going to break him and then you kind of have to look at other teams not going to name them where if you've got a non-contact ACL and a non-contact hamstring tear one week out of the World Cup from an outsider's perspective that to me doesn't look like everything's functioning as smoothly as it could Good, uh, good insight good insight we've got a couple more questions here I'm conscious of time just as well so maybe just um, fire through them quickly. Um, Ross, Ross Corbett had said, um, "Just uh, if we could ask about uh, your player monitoring protocols." Yep. Okay. So the the best place to look for this in terms of the big um, the big presentation and the big ideas is to go onto the Central Virginia Sports Performance um, Seminar website. There's a presentation there by Valner Zedkin from Omega Wave, and he goes into the science of, of readiness and monitoring. And basically, there are seven physiological systems throughout the body. They're always fluctuating in terms of how much training they can tolerate. And the ideal sports performance model measures all seven. However, we don't have the money, time, resources to do that because we can't afford Omega Wave. So we try and focus on three primary systems that we measure the readiness of. The central nervous system, the neuromuscular system, and the autonomic nervous system. And we think if we can manage those three, um, the other four are going to manage themselves in the long term. So in terms of the CNS, we use a subjective questionnaire. In terms of the neuromuscular system, we use a standing broad jump every single day. And then in terms of the autonomic nervous system, we will use stuff like resting heart rate, HRV, and heart rate recovery from submaximal exercise. Um, that last one is something that we're still trying to work on because uh, a thing that we have to consider when we do something is how portable it is and how cheap it is because of the resources that we have available. So obviously a questionnaire costs nothing uh, and uh, a standing broad jump costs you a, a tape measure, whereas the other stuff is a little bit more expensive and it requires a little bit more expertise. That's what we kind of call our reactive programming. So we're looking at the athlete, the state that they come in, and then we're making decisions to, to change the program uh, in a reactive fashion. The proactive fashion is is getting subjective training loads in terms of minutes and RPE uh, and maybe looking at GPS numbers in terms of velocity and, and volumes and so on and then trying to plan ahead uh, and be proactive. So that's the, the two sides of the coin that we try and use to, to manage the training process. Broad jump, would you ever think, is vertical jump any use there? A lot easier logistically because the little machine gives you the score or is broad jump way better? Um, we have absolutely no money to buy jump mats. You can't take a jump mat through uh, as easily through customs. You can't do it pitch side, so we do a broad jump. Those are the reasons that we picked a broad jump. Some people hate them for the landing mechanics on them. You've never issue, uh, saw any problems with that with knees or anything, have you? With, with uh, the jump mat or with a broad jump? Broad jump. Sometimes I look at them and I go, ooh, you know. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think like you know, our guys once once they got past the first couple of weeks, um, 
you know, they're comfortable with it. Um, and, I, you know, I think as well I like is the fact that there's all this research coming out more and more to suggest that there's a stronger relationship between sprint ability and broad jump. And so for us, it's just like a little bit of practice as well. Um, yeah. And if, if they really don't want to jump, you know, that straight away sets the alarm bells ringing in my head and that's going to prompt a conversation. Because a big thing that yeah. I took away from, from Darcy Norman we had, yeah. when we did our planning day in, in San Diego, um, he said, you have to remember that all this readiness stuff, it's, it's a, a verb, not a noun. And in, by that, he means all of that stuff is there not to dictate what happens in training, but to prompt a conversation with the coach and with the athlete, which then dictates what happens. So I think it, it, it's fascinating because you're at the highest level of sport and you're using pen and paper, uh, measuring tape and a line and maybe something like a polar watch to get your world-class information. Would that be a fair commentary? Apart from the world-class part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Modest. That question was asked by Ross. Did Ross not just S&C coach the Limerick Curlers who just won the All-Ireland Under-21? I think that's the same chap, uh, Gregory. Uh, could well have done, yes. I'm pretty sure he is from... Uh from that part of the world I'll double check it but yeah thanks for it Dominic Mulligan had asked a, a similar question but I think um, there was one or two other questions it was more just in terms of uh, you had been answering a lot of them in the Facebook group uh, but it was just the kind of career path and stuff to the Pumas but uh, I think we'll probably hopefully get that on um, I know you've kind of covered it before on previous podcasts and um, yeah can I just say that talk you gave up in um, Gregory's spot I just, you know, yeah, whatever. And people still go on about that to this day, so fair play to you. It would definitely get <laughs> oh, I, do I was again. so hung over that day, thanks to Gregory the night before. <laughs> I, I think it was actually your fault. Um, I didn't actually want to go out, but... I had an open day of the gym in Longford, and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you that story off there as well. We'll go, yeah, we'll keep <laughs> that <laughs> we'll, we'll give that off, right? But that's a, a nice little segue <laughs> into... Um, the uh, the sixth uh, is it sixth and seventh? You're hoping no, it's over? seven eight. I'll check the the dates. It's yeah, seventh eight. I, I was wondering there because I seen it was Thursday. So yeah, seventh and eighth of uh, November. We're hopefully going to have um, gear back over to Belfast. If you want to give us a bit of information, kind of what you're planning, we it's about ninety nine percent certain or ninety five percent certain. Um, if you want to give a bit of information, just in terms of uh, what you're planning there. Yeah, mate. The the, the plan was was basically. Um, you know, I think Dave's kind of mentioned Instagram and social media and stuff, and I put up a little bit of, of what we do and how I how I train rugby athletes. And it's just been apparent there's a, a, a bit of an appetite for people to try and learn um, more kind of like how how I do what I do and, and stuff like that. And maybe for some for some rugby-specific stuff in, in Republic of Ireland and in Ireland. So um, the plan is, is to come over and, and do a, a two-day seminar, you know, really get into it like, like eight, nine, ten hours a day for two days. Um, come over and just go through the entire breakdown of, of the program. Um, you know, and that's largely the program that we're using at the moment. It's the program that I use with my my uh, my online guys and my, my guys in person. And that's you know beginning to end, looking at you know the theory and structure of, of how we plan out the training year and the, the training career. Um, speed, change of direction. Jumps, plyometrics, medicine ball throws, uh, power work, strength work, accessories, energy system development, coaching science, um, yeah. and if if I can, what I'm trying to do is is bring over Sam Portland, who's the the rehab coach for London Wasps at the moment, and um, 
I may also try and bring over Tom Farrow, who I've already mentioned, who's uh, an excellent grapple coach because uh, a real evolution for me over the last 18 months to two years has been learning how, how this contact skill um, stuff comes into not only maximizing performance, but minimizing um, energy expenditure, but also part of the rehab process as well. So I'm, I'm hoping to bring those guys over and you know we'll, we'll just get into it for two days. Yeah, no, sounds, sounds unreal, so it does. So definitely we'll have a, a link to that, hopefully, um, on the show notes, um, and we'll be putting it out. Uh, get you recorded and put you up on our, our brand new uh, European Fitness Network forward slash training website, Care. That's good, yeah. Awesome. Rich. <laughs> we'll always be marketing, but now hopefully even um, Davis just actually texted me, WhatsApp me there. I mean, the, the information you've given there over the past um, 40 minutes or so, um, 45, it's been um, unreal. So uh, hopefully we can maybe even get you back on. Um, I know it'll be a hectic schedule for a couple of weeks, but definitely would love to do a, a part two um, in advance of um, putting on the workshop in Belfast. Matt, you got it. It'll be awesome. Good stuff. Well, here, good luck on Sunday. Obviously, we'll be chatting before that off record, but uh, or offline. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. I think uh, most of Ireland should be uh, going for you anyway. So thanks, guys. Up until we potentially cross paths. What <laughs> final? It's on. Indeed, indeed. Well, again, thank you very much, and um, we will chat again soon. Thank you, guys. See ya. Great. Okay. Thanks very much. Cheers, Dave. Bye.